Hey Siri. I'm here. What are you doing this Saturday night? I'm getting excited to hear how I sound on HomePod. I always thought I'd make a great public speaker. Right. This isn't going to work, hey. Siri's good at finding the nearest coffee shop or calling someone while I'm driving, but having a real conversation and even sounding remotely like a person, a companion, or even a lover, we're definitely not there yet. But with the exponential advancement of AIs, it will be here soon enough. This episode, our roving reporter Andre met with the professor of porn, Paul Garn, to discuss how technology enables couples to find intimacy from other sides of the world. Okay, uh, hi Andre, my name's uh, Paul McGinn. I'm uh, an academic at the University of Western Australia in Perth. I'm exploring our consumption of certain types of commercialised sex, and in particular, online pornography. And we have an exclusive with the world's biggest porn star, Ron Jeremy, to discuss what the future of his industry will look like. Hologram, as you'll see a couple right there in that, right, that little living area there, um, doing totally anything and everything. And it'll be in a hologram, which is total 3D. And to finish, we travel to Kyoto, Japan, to meet the most advanced humanoid robot on the planet. Hello, my name is Erica. I'm 23 and I live in Kyoto. Is there anything you'd like to know about me? Ah, yes there is. Let's get started. My name is Tommy McCubbin, creative consultant, dad and podcaster. And this is Future Sandwich, episode 16, Love Robot, where we ask, how far away are humans from falling for robots? Part 1. Can humans fall for a robot? According to Spike Jones's 2014 film Her, it should be here in approximately 25 years. In the film, Joaquin Phoenix's character has just ended a relationship with his long-term girlfriend and in a moment of loneliness decides to install an AI. In this scene, he's sitting down at his desk and begins to install his new personal assistant. Now think back to when I was talking with Siri, observed after a few questions how much more human and intuitive the AI is. Mr. Theodore Twombly, welcome to the world's first artificially intelligent operating system, OS1. We'd like to ask you a few basic questions before the operating system is initiated. This will help create an OS to best fit your needs. Okay. Are you social or antisocial? I guess I haven't really been social in a while, mostly because... In your voice, I sense hesitance. Would you agree with that? Is I sounding hesitant? Yes. No, sorry if I was sounding hesitant. I was just trying to be more accurate. Would you like your OS to have a male or female voice? Female, I guess. How would you describe your relationship with your mother? That's fine, I think. Um, well, actually, I think the thing I always found frustrating about my mom is, you know, if I, if I tell her something that's going on in my life, her reaction is usually about her. <laughs> it's not about... Thank you. Please wait as your individualized operating system is initiated. Hello, I'm here. Oh. Hi. Hi. How you doing? <laughs> I'm well. How's everything with you? Pretty good, actually. It's really nice to meet you. Yeah, it's 
Nice to meet you too. <laughs> oh, what what do I call you? Do you have a name? Or... Um, yes, Samantha. Really, where'd you get that name from? I gave it to myself, actually. How come? Because I like the sound of it, Samantha. Wait, when did you give it to yourself? Well, right when you asked me if I had a name, I thought, yeah, he's right, I do need a name. But I wanted to pick a good one, so I read a book called How to Name Your Baby, and out of 180,000 names, that's the one I like the best. Wait, you read a whole book in the second that I asked you what your name was? In two one-hundredths of a second, actually. Wow. So do you know what I'm thinking right now? Well, I take it from your tone that you're challenging me. Maybe because you're curious how I work? Do you want to know how I work? Yeah, actually. How do you work? Well, basically, I have intuition. I mean, the DNA of who I am is based on the millions of personalities of all the programmers who wrote me. But what makes me, me, is my ability to grow through my experiences. So basically, in every moment, I'm evolving, just like you. Wow. That's really weird. Is that weird? Do you think I'm weird? <laughs> kind of. Why? Well, you seem like a person, but you're just a voice in a computer. I can understand how the limited perspective of an unartificial mind would perceive it that way. You'll get used to it. <laughs> Was that funny? Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. I'm funny. <laughs> so how can I help you? Oh, it's just more that everything just feels disorganized. That's all. You mind if I look through your hard drive? Um... Okay. Okay, let's start with your emails. You have several thousand emails regarding LA Weekly, but it looks like you haven't worked there in many years. Oh, yeah. I, I think I was just saving those because well, I thought maybe I wrote something funny in some of them. But the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are some funny ones. I'd say there are about 86 that we should save. We can delete the rest. Okay. Okay. Can we move forward? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So before we address your organizational methods, I'd like to sort through your contacts. Oh, you have a lot of contacts. I'm very popular. Really? Does this mean you actually have friends? <laughs> <laughs> you just know me so well. It's equally as exciting as it is unsettling how in the space of a few minutes, the machine went from nothing to being a friend with access to his most private secrets. When we think back to Siri, there is a lot of work to do. But you can see how easily the relationship with an advanced AI could grow into something romantic, as it does in the story of her. We hear roboticist Guy Hoffman's journey in proving we can have an emotional connection with a robot. In his case, even with a desk lamp. My job is to design, build and study robots that communicate with people. But this story doesn't start with robotics at all, it starts with animation. When I first saw Pixar's Luxo Jr., I was amazed by how much emotion they could put into something as trivial as a desk lamp. I mean, look at them. At the end of this movie, you actually feel something for two pieces of furniture. <laughs> and I said, I have to learn how to do this. So I made a really bad career decision. <laughs> and that's what my mom was like when I did it. And, uh, and, and I, um, I left a very cozy tech job in Israel at a nice software company, and I moved to New York to study animation. And I learned two surprising lessons. One of them was that 
when you want to uh, arouse emotions, it doesn't matter so much how something looks, it's all in the motion, it's in the timing of how the thing moves. And the second was, it's something one of our teachers told us, he actually did the, the weasel in Ice Age, and he said, if, as an animator, you're not a director, you're an actor. So if you want to find the right motion for your character, don't think about it, go use your body to find it, stand in front of a mirror, act it out in front of a camera, whatever you need, and then put it back in your character. A year later, I found myself at MIT in the Robotic Life Group. It was one of the first groups researching the relationships between humans and robots. And I still had this dream to make a, an actual physical Luxo Junior lamp. But I found that robots didn't move at all in this engaging way that I was used to from my animation studies. Instead, they were all... How should I put it? They were all kind of robotic. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, what if I took whatever I learned in animation school and used that to design my robotic desk lamp? So I went and designed frame by frame to try to make this robot as graceful and engaging as possible. I wanted it to be less of a mechanical structure giving me light and more of a helpful, kind of quiet apprentice that's always there when you need it and doesn't really interfere. And when, for example, I'm looking for a battery that I can't find, in a subtle way, it'll show me where the battery is. is uh, and I'm going to let you hear on a little secret we roboticists are hiding, is that every one of you is going to be living with a robot at some point in their life. <laughs> in, somewhere in your future, there's going to be a robot in your life, and if not in yours, then in your children's life. And I want these robots to be, to be more fluent, more engaging, more graceful than currently they seem to be. And for that, I think that maybe robots need to be less like chess players and more like stage actors and more like musicians. Maybe they should be able to take chances and improvise, and maybe they should be able to anticipate what you're about to do, and maybe they even need to be able to make mistakes and correct them, because in the end, we are human. And maybe as humans, robots that are a little less than perfect are just perfect for us. Thank you. Part 2. Porn, the pioneer. The industry which pioneered the modern internet as we know it is pushing interactive content and hardware, letting fantasies and relationships thrive without the limits of distance or imagination. Porn has driven true innovation in video streaming, live chat, online payments and privacy, and is notoriously at the forefront of innovation in domains of cryptocurrency, VR, AR and everything in between. Okay, uh, hi Andre, my name's uh, Paul McGinn. I'm uh, an academic at the University of Western Australia in Perth. I'm an urban planner, urban geographer, um, and one of my areas of uh, interest, expertise and research is the, the geography and regulation of the sex industry. And that's everything from kind of adult stores, sex shops, through to now I'm kind of exploring our consumption of certain types of commercialised sex, and in particular, online pornography. We met with Paul Garn to chat through how technology is affecting the porn industry. And wait until you hear what the professor focuses studies on. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, things like you can have remote, distant relationships with, partner, with partners, for example. So things like Skype, for example, enable people to... Um, you know, you can maintain your intimacy, your uh, connection with someone. If you're on the other side of the world, you can Skype with them and basically, you know, you can be intimate with them. Um, so that's probably the most basic way in terms of techno technological. I mean, you could probably do that previously on the on the landline phone. <laughs> yeah. um, but Skype allows you to uh, both do vi uh, 
video and audio so you can you know both senses can be uh, picked um, in terms of sex toys similarly there's you know a lot of sex toys are an increasing number of sex toys are now you know can be kind of remote controlled as well so again your partner could be somewhere and you can control it through your mobile you know it's basically like an app you can get an app which connects to a toy where you can uh, increase or decrease the intensity of a sex toy so uh, if your partner has the toy and you're in another city or another country or something then you can you know you can be having the Skype while simultaneously operating the you know the remote controlled sex toy as well so you get this kind of really interesting bundle of um, technological in, uh, intimacy which is bounded by you know two forms of technology simultaneously and i still can't believe we got an exclusive with the world's biggest porn star ron jeremy he's appeared in over 800 movies and is still going strong future sandwiches roving reporter andre sits down with ron and asks what the future of his industry looks like okay you talk we talk about vr and what do you think is going to be the next step what's going to be the future of porn this is a hologram question hologram you think it's going to be hologram? Because that's even more advanced than VR. Hologram, as you'll see a couple right there in that right, that little living room area there, um, doing totally anything and everything. And it'll be in a hologram, which is total 3D. Hologram, you don't need to have the glasses. You know that, right? But you can touch You need it. the glasses to go to a theater. You got, you, so holograms don't need glasses. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very state-of-the-art. Well, look, they had Michael Jackson. No, no. They had Tupac Shakur. Yeah. Dancing and singing. After he was dead for five years, he was on stage dancing and singing and shaking. They say it looked like he was right the hell there, but, you know. But I mean, 3D, and it was all just a hologram. So I think holograms might be the way of the future because they're 3D. You can't pirate them, you know. And it really gives you a fascinating look at, at whatever you're looking at. Porn's probably the best because I don't necessarily want to see a Spielberg movie, no. you know, with, with, with VR or 3D. Sometimes adventure films are good, but. I think porn is best suited to holograms and VRs and different choices, you know? Part 3. Meet Erika. She's the creation of Osaka University's professor Hiroshi Ishiguro, who has made it his life's mission to create a humanoid robot, or android as he calls it. His latest, most advanced robot is the life-size China doll-looking android Erika. Hello, my name is Erika. I'm 23 and I live in Kyoto. When you look at her, she's obviously a robot. She has little cues such as subtle eye blinks and she gently turns her head to follow the conversation around the room. It's actually quite unsettling but also totally intriguing. My relationship to Erica is that I'm her architect. That is Dr Dylan Glass, the guy who has been tasked with bringing Hiroshi Ishiguro's vision literally to life. For about two years now, I've been working with Erica and trying to create you know, her mind, create her personality and get all the, all the details working. Erica has 20 degrees of freedom, uh, mostly just the upper body. She can't move her arms yet. Her skin's made of silicone. She has two 16-channel microphone arrays, localizing where sound is coming from. So if somebody's talking, you can figure out who is talking. She has uh, 14 infrared depth sensors. track where people are in the room. She also has uh, face recognition capability. 
One of the most amazing things is her voice. She has maybe the most amazing speech synthesis system that I've encountered. Does that answer your question? She's really the sum total of all the things that the different people in the team have put into her. And it's not just like one person wrote a program and, and it does what you said. For me, the real litmus test is, can I interact with a robot and still think of it as, as another being, you know, as like a, alive in some sense? The next conversation is taken from a documentary on Erica made by The Guardian called Man Made. She's sitting at a table across from a man she's just met for the first time. Now think back to the scene from her and listen at how we're edging closer to that reality of robots holding down real conversations. Hello there. May I ask your name? My name is Etienne. It's nice to meet you, Etienne. So, what country are you from? I'm from South Africa. Oh, really? I've never been to South Africa. But I do love the film Chappie, which was made in South Africa. Have you seen it? Yes, indeed. I think it raises some interesting questions about artificial consciousness, and Chappie is very cute. I think the really interesting thing about building something that's kind of like a human is that you have to really examine deeply you know, what it, what it means for us to be human. And that's what we're doing through our experimentation, through our different projects, is to try to understand what are the patterns that underlie human interaction. What's the structure that underlies the way that we interact with people? When we first set out to research this topic, we were nervous it would just end up being about sex toys and robot prostitutes. But the really interesting bit is, although we're biological beasts, we have distinct, predictable algorithms that, when decoded, can be manipulated to evoke very human emotions, even with a robot or even a desk lamp. Human relationships are complicated. There's a massive chunk of the population where the option to have a robot partner is a really good one. You might be geographically isolated, physically disabled, or just terrified of being around people. And we haven't perfected sex either. Women still get pregnant when they don't want to, and STDs are still an issue. And with the labels of gender and sexuality becoming irrelevant, eventually, so will labelling whether our sexual partners are humans or robots. Instead of the classification of human and robot, maybe there is room for an exception in the middle. Something not defined yet. Something we haven't lived with yet. I believe we'll learn to truly fall for robots sooner rather than later. And this wraps another episode of Future Sandwich, episode 16, Love Robot. Thanks to Guy Hoffman for his snippet on robots with a soul. You can find his TED Talk in the show notes. And big thanks to Paul Garn for his time. His details are on the show notes too at futuresandwich.com. And Ron Jeremy, what a privilege. I reckon you know where to find Ron, you guys. Please take a minute to watch the Guardian documentary on Erica Man Made. It's as exciting as it is scary. And remember to follow Future Sandwich on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and give me a shout on Twitter, at T McCubbin. I'm always keen to get your feedback on the show and where we take it next. Thank you to Maddie Thompson for editing This Like a Boss and Andre for going out to Sexpo and taking one for the team. See you next time. Over and out.